Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my privilege to bring us God's word today, which comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 3 to 9 and 14 to 20. Please give your full attention to the reading of God's holy word. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, and 60-fold, and 100-fold. Amen. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the kind of ears that not only hear, but understands and accepts your word today. We pray for good soil. I pray also that I can preach with clarity and conviction and to present Christ in such a way where he is desirable to those who are listening. I pray this in his name. Amen. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, he says that when he gets to heaven, he expects three wonders. The first wonder is that he is there. And by that, he means that any Christian who understands their sinfulness should be in awe of the fact that they are in heaven. The second wonder that he expects is that people that he was not expecting to be in heaven are in heaven. And the third wonder is this, that those he was expecting to be in heaven are not there. And it's that last one that is most surprising and also unsettling, that there are people you thought would be in heaven, but are not there. And maybe you thought they would be there because you grew up in church together, because they are a most committed volunteer, or that they're even a member, or that they've gone on missions, And it's so unnerving to think that there are people who have done all of those things and yet are not in heaven. And is it because they lost their salvation somewhere along the way? And the answer to that is no, because it is impossible for a true believer to lose his or her salvation. The reason why they're not in heaven is because they were never true believers to begin with. This parable teaches us that reality that people may appear to be true believers when in reality they are not. As much as we all love bedtime stories, this parable is not a bedtime story. In fact, if you shared someone this story right before they were trying to go to bed, they would probably lose some sleep because this parable is going to make you stop 
and think. Make you think about your own faith. Is it true or is it false? It's going to make you think about the faith of those around you whom you love. Is their faith true or is it false? Today, as we learn this parable, I want us to take a good, long, hard look at our faith. I also want us to consider the faith of those around us, those people we love who are dear to us. I think Satan is so pleased when we assume that we're saved or that we assume other people around us are saved based on superficial criteria that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. In this parable, we're going to learn that there are two criteria, two things that are necessary for true faith. And the first is the seed, which is the word of God or the gospel. No one can have true faith without ever hearing the word or the gospel. The second criteria is not just hearing, but they must respond to the word. They must respond to the gospel because hearing is not enough. Not all responses are faith-based responses. And the different ways that people respond are represented by the four soils, which are the different conditions of the human heart. Only one out of the four soils represents true saving faith. And that's the last soil And that's the good soil. And that's the one we're going to begin with today. But before we jump into this, I just want to say that if during this sermon, your faith is reaffirmed and you realize that you are truly a believer, we praise God for that. If you, during this sermon, realize that you thought you were a Christian, but you're actually not, we also praise God for that. And today could be the first day of your Christian life. And if you never were a Christian, You never pretended to be a Christian or admitted you're a Christian, but after this sermon, you want to be one, we'll let you know how that can happen. And we would love to talk to you more about that. So we're going to begin with the good soil, which is true faith. Again, this is the only soil of the four that represents true saving faith. And this means that the other soils, they do not represent degrees of maturity among true believers. It's not as if the, the shallow soil or the thorny soil represents immature believers. No, these soils represent false faith. And of course, yes, there is a spectrum of maturity among believers. There are times when true believers will exhibit some of the characteristics of the shallow soil or the thorny soil. And I think about Peter when he denied Jesus three times Yeah, Peter was a true believer. And we know this because he didn't fall away completely like Judas. He did keep following Jesus and he bore a lot of fruit in his life. So how can you tell if someone is a true believer or not, whether you are a true believer or not? And the answer to that is fruit. Jesus says that the seeds that were sown on the good soil, they heard the word and they accepted it And they bore fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Hearing the word is not enough. Hearing the word alone does not produce fruit. This parable teaches us that many will hear. The seeds are sown everywhere, but they don't all accept it and bear fruit. There are people who will hear hundreds, if not thousands of sermons in their lifetime, and yet never truly be Christians. What makes the good soil good? The first is this. It accepts what they hear. This word accepts means to to make it your own, to embrace it, not just intellectually, but wholeheartedly. 
And this is what it means that the good soil was good because it had depth and it was just not surface level. I thought it was really helpful that in the Greek definition of this word accept, it gave an example of a child. In other words, it's the difference between signing the adoption papers and actually embracing and loving that child as your own. There are those who are only Christian on paper, but not in their hearts. There are those whose names are written on the membership rolls of churches, but their names are not written in the book of life in heaven. And so the big question is this, have you truly accepted and embraced the gospel? Have you embraced Jesus as your own? Or do you only know Jesus through somebody else? Is Jesus just a friend of a friend? Is Jesus your your parent and savior, your spouse's Lord? Or is Jesus your Lord and your savior? Salvation and, and entrance into heaven does not include plus ones. How do we accept Jesus? The gospel teaches us that we must repent and believe. By repent, we mean to confess that you're a sinner. Not just in your own eyes, not just in other people's eyes, but before the eyes of a holy God. And you recognize that because you're a sinner, there's nothing good in yourself. There's nothing you can do to merit God's love or earn your way into heaven. And you understand that the only thing that you deserve is God's just wrath for eternity in hell. That's what it means to repent. But then you also believe. You stop trusting in yourself. You stop trusting in others and what you own for salvation. But you trust in Jesus Christ alone, who alone lived a perfect, obedient, pleasing life to God. And although he was innocent, he died on the cross, paid the penalty and punishment for sins and rose from the dead. The gospel is the good news that freely offers salvation. It is a free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you commit to following Jesus, receive this by God's grace, place your faith in him, you can be saved. That is good soil. And everyone who truly accepts that bears fruit. To put it in another way, There is no true Christian who truly believes in the gospel that I just shared that does not bear fruit. They all must bear fruit. Secondly, not only do they accept what they hear, they live out what they hear. That's what what we mean by fruit. Jesus says that they bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. What's fruit? In Galatians 5, there's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all characteristics that look like Christ that are born out of true faith and love for God. And notice that love is the first on that list. And it's because all of the other fruit flow out of love. And what does love for God really look like? It looks like obedience. And I would say that obedience is actually maybe the most evident fruit in a life of a true believer. First John 5, 3 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. That's how you know somebody loves God. Not that they keep his commandments perfectly. No Christian will ever do that. But there is a deep desire, a longing, a yearning to obey God, to please God, to glorify God. And although we'll never do that perfectly, that's the reason why that the true Christian life is also marked by repentance and a renewed desire to obey God by the help of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus says that the good soil bears fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was originally sown. And it's important to note that the difference between 30 times and 100 times isn't the difference between a little and a lot. 30 fold is actually a lot, which means 60 is even more and 100. That's just ridiculous amount of returns. The point is this, it should be unmistakable whether or not someone is a Christian. Jesus is saying 30, 60, 100 fold. It should be so obvious. It shouldn't be puzzling whether or not somebody is truly a Christian. To put it another way, and I think this is biblical, that over time, the longer somebody has been a Christian, the more visible and evident their faith should be. It should become more noticeable, more unquestionable, and more obvious that they are believers the longer they've been a Christian. However, there are those who claim to be Christian, but based on Jesus' criteria of the good soil, it makes you wonder. There are people, if they never told you they were a Christian, you would have never guessed. And when they do tell you, you're so surprised. This leads us to truly examine whether or not we are truly saved. Those who truly believe accept what they hear. They live out what they hear and they bear fruit that is evident and obvious. We're going to next look at the path, which represents no faith at all. This person characterized by the path never claims to have faith. They never give the appearance that they do. They know they don't believe and it's obvious that they don't. This person has a hardened heart. And it's important to note that this hard heart doesn't mean that they have an openly belligerent and hostile heart towards Christianity. It could be a person who just simply says, I'm sorry, that's not for me. And they could be really kind and polite about that. But for one reason or another, their rejection of the gospel is immediate because their mind is already made up. There's no openness They've already committed to a lifestyle or a belief system that has no room or no need for Jesus. And I want to speak to those who may say, it's not for me. And what I want to say, it is for you. And the reason why it's for you is because you have a soul. It's for anyone who has a soul, and that's everyone. You have a soul, and I think you know it. And you can tell because you long for something more and you long for something meaningful. And maybe you've come really close a few times of finding that something more meaningful, but it didn't quite pan out and you're left disappointed. And I wanna to say to you that Christianity says that you were created with a purpose and this is contrary to evolution by a personal God, which is contrary to atheism, deism, and agnosticism. And that purpose is to know God, to worship God, to enjoy God, to have a relationship with him. And it's only in relations with God that you will find your truest meaning, joy, and happiness. Other people may say, I'm fine. That's why they immediately reject Christianity. Maybe you feel like you're fine because you're making a lot of money because your career is taking off, business is booming, you're dating the guy or girl of your dreams, and you're feeling really secure with your 401k. There are a lot of reasons for us to feel fine in this world, but I want to say that's all smoke and mirrors. Imagine this. 
all of those things that I just mentioned, it's like packing your, your bag with the nicest, the most expensive summer outfits and swimwear, not realizing that the flight is to Antarctica. Your bags are packed, but you're not prepared for the destination. All of those things that I mentioned, they're really nice things, but they will not prepare you for when you stand before God on that day and you have to give an account for your life and you will be judged for that. You'll realize that apart from Christ, you have no hope and you have no chance. You'll quickly realize you're not fine. The Bible teaches us that no one is fine apart from Christ. And I've shared this earlier. It's because we are all born into sin, which separates us from God, makes us unable to earn his love or our way into heaven. And the only thing that can save us and take away our sin is Jesus Christ. Trusting in him, believing that he died on the cross for our sin, he rose from the dead, and we place our full full faith in him. And by doing so, only then are we made righteous in God's eyes. Are we accepted and adopted as his beloved children? The gospel teaches this, that Jesus is exclusively the way to heaven. You cannot be saved any other way. We could say that Jesus has a monopoly on salvation However, unlike monopolies who would want to price gouge and make, us, and, and make as much profit as possible, Jesus offers salvation for free if you would repent and place your faith in him. And I do want us to consider this as well in this parable. Jesus says that the devil is like the bird that immediately devours the word. And that says a lot. When someone really doesn't want you to know something, it's either because they're trying to protect you or they're trying to harm you. Satan is not trying to protect you. There's a reason why he doesn't want you to know the word. And like a bird, he's going to come and scoop up this seed and devour it. It says a lot that he would immediately snatch it up. Do you ever wonder why he cares so much about you not hearing and accepting the word and taking it seriously. In the stock market, there's something called FUD, which stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Pretty much what that means is that there are institutions and wealthy individuals who, through media, will create all this fear, uncertainty, and doubt so that retail investors will sell their stock and they will cause the stock price to drop only so that those institutions can buy back in at a lower price. They want you to drop those stocks. They want you to think that it's not as valuable as it actually is. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to create a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt to get you to drop those seeds, to not consider the gospel, to just ignore it. And if you have a lot of uncertainty and doubt about Christianity, that's totally understandable. Does God exist? Is the Bible truly the word of God? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Totally understand that. And we will love to talk to you about those things. Just don't be so quick to drop it. Satan wants to snatch it up and devour it. Satan doesn't want you to experience the joy of knowing the living God and having Jesus as your Lord and Savior, King and friend. The devil knows that such an experience will completely change your outlook of yourself on life 
in your circumstances. It'll start to transform your marriage and your families. It's like light breaking into the darkness, which is why Satan is so actively trying to make sure you don't hear the word and accept it. We're next going to look at the shallow soil. This is false faith revealed by persecution. What we learn from this soil is that first impressions are not final impressions. The seeds grow quickly, but when the sun comes out, it withers just as quickly and dies. Jesus says that they immediately receive the word with joy. And that sounds legit. They immediately receive the word with joy, but it's not legit. So what is this joy? If it isn't true faith, what is it? I would actually say that we could describe this joy as them enjoying Christianity without actually being a Christian. They enjoy church activities, listening to sermons, serving, socializing, retreats, missions, hangouts, and small groups. This joy is them enjoying Christian activities without them being a Christian. Their flurry of activity in the church is misinterpreted as true faith, which means this, it's possible. It is possible for people to joyfully experience the blessings of Christian community without being a Christian. And just as quickly as they receive this, they also wither. And what's the reason for that? Because of persecution, which isn't suffering in general, but it's suffering specifically for your faith, for being a Christian And I want to note that this persecution, it's not making them lose their faith. It's revealing the faith that they never truly had, which raises the concern, actually. What if you live in a place where there isn't really any persecution? What if there's plenty of shallow soil without that intense sun of persecution? And I actually think that describes much of Christianity in the United States, So if you're thinking, I'm not the shallow soil because I haven't withered away and I'm still around, that might actually just be because there hasn't been any serious persecution to cause you or to give you a reason to leave, especially in this country. We haven't experienced a kind of persecution in this country to cause people to wither and to fade, which means that in affluent countries, it's even harder to detect shallow soil. These people are still around enjoying Christianity without being a Christian. And the gospel response to that is just to make clear what it means to be a Christian and what comes with that. One seminary professor said that not experiencing persecution is the exception, not the expectation. And it's important that we understand that, that those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And lastly, we're going to look at the thorny soil, which is false faith concealed by materialism. Unlike the shallow soil, the problem with the thorny soil isn't persecution, it's preoccupation. A preoccupation with the things of this world. With the shallow soil, persecution reveals false faith. With the thorny soil, preoccupation conceals their false faith. It's actually not as obvious. Jesus says that these people, they actually grow up. 
but they stop short of bearing fruit. Why? Because they're choked by the thorns, which is their preoccupation with the world. But they do grow up a little bit and they don't wither away. How do we explain that, that little growth? And I equate that little growth to Christian activity without Christian conviction. They're very similar to the shallow soil. I think the thorny soil, they would fall away if there was persecution, but they, haven't, they happen to live in a place in time where there is no persecution, where it's quite comfortable. And because there's no persecution, they don't have a strong reason to leave the church. And because of their preoccupation with a very comfortable culture that they live in, they don't have a strong reason to be a true Christian either. It's Christian activity without Christian conviction. And I think John Newton had these people in mind the most when he said that in heaven, there's going to be people he thought would be there that are not. These people, the thorny soil, may have a very positive view of Christianity. And they may even think about taking Christianity seriously someday. And I want to ask, is that you? Do you have a positive view of Christianity? And you think about taking Christianity seriously, maybe someday, but that day is not today. These people, they have God on their calendar, but he's only penciled in. And it's always so easy to reschedule God and to push him back because it's never the right time for them. Right now is never the right time. Something always comes up. This reminds me of when I first moved to SoCal a few years ago. One of the first things that I've learned is that it's never a good time to drive to LA. It's never a good time. There's always traffic. The only good time, you have like this small window between like 1 to 4 a.m., but who's going to drive there at that time anyways? And I think this is descriptive of a lot of those who are the thorny soil. They're always waiting for that perfect time to follow Jesus. They're waiting for the traffic to die down in their lives, for them to be less busy, and then they say, at that time, I'll start to follow Jesus. But that time, like LA traffic, is is never going to come. It's never going to come. And before you know it, they never place their faith in Christ. Jesus also says that it's the desire for other things that's always getting in the way. And, And I think that phrase sums up their heart. There's always something getting in the way of them taking Christianity and their faith seriously to the point that they never believe. What are these things? Jesus says that one of them is the deceitfulness of riches. This means that they believe money is where they'll find their meaning. So they're so preoccupied with work, so preoccupied with investing, always looking to make a quick buck. However, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. The Bible teaches us that riches will deceive you into believing it'll satisfy you, but it won't. And there's nothing wrong with money, but something is very wrong when we try to be satisfied by it. Trying to find satisfaction in riches will not only disappoint you, but it'll also keep you so preoccupied and prevent you from finding your true satisfaction in Jesus. Jesus also says the cares of the world will get in the way. These cares, 
are the worries and anxieties about worldly things. We can summarize it as keeping up and upkeeping. You're so busy trying to keep up with everyone else around you. And then once you get all of those things, then you're so busy upkeeping all of those things that you own. The house needs repair. The car needs maintenance. Your gadgets need upgrading. Your fashion needs updating. There's always something keeping you preoccupied. When we're keeping up and upkeeping. And it'll get in the way of us following Jesus. And for those people, I want to share this. I was reading a book called The High Price of Materialism. And it's not a Christian book. But the findings very much align with what the Bible teaches about materialism. And I want to share a few things from the book. We have swallowed the idea that to be well, one first has to be well off. We have adopted a worldview in which worth and success is about having the right stuff. In the summary, people with strong materialistic values and desires report more symptoms of anxiety or at greater risk for depression and experience more frequent somatic irritations and have more impoverished personal relationships. They seem to be emptier of soul and self. And I want to say that just because someone is wealthy or has nice, nice things, that doesn't mean they have materialistic values. Anyone can have materialistic values. It's a value system, whether you're rich or poor, that you can buy into. And they say that these materialistic values places a burden on the human soul. And it sets you on a frantic pace of life and creates actually more strain and more stress. And it's really interesting later in this book, it makes a very insightful point again that aligns with scripture that what drives a lot of people to materialistic values is fear and insecurity. That they're trying to make up for their fears and insecurities through things. Let me ask, what are you afraid of? And how does that fear rule and control your life? The things that you do, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you view other people. What are you trying to make up for or cover up with materialistic things? Is it a, a great fear or insecurity of not being accepted or loved? I think that's a big part of it. And I want to say that you will never find full relief from those fears. You'll never find full peace in materialistic things, in social media, in popularity, in that boyfriend or girlfriend, or improving your appearance. It's actually the gospel that speaks most directly to our insecurities, anxieties, and fears. And this actually surprises a lot of people, but the most frequent command in scripture is not love God, and it's not do not sin. It's actually do not fear. That's because God knows us. He knows how fearful and anxious and insecure we are. And he knows that when we are fearful and insecure, that we're going to go looking for meaning and purpose, acceptance and validation in all the wrong things and all the wrong people and all the wrong places. And so when God says, do not fear, he's trying to make sure that we don't run to other things other than him. God knows that he alone can satisfy us and cast out those fears God alone can perfectly fill our souls with his love and his acceptance. I want to close with this. Jesus says in verse nine, 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying that not everyone is paying attention and accepting what is said. Did you hear what was just preached? Do you understand this parable today? Is there anything about what you heard that you would like to talk to a pastor about? Please reach out. We would love to chat with you. Do you realize maybe that you weren't a true Christian, but now you are and you want to be and you're aware of that? Praise God. And maybe you weren't a Christian before today, but now you understand the gospel and you want to embrace and accept Jesus and follow him. I pray that you would accept these words that you would turn to him, embrace him, repent, and place your faith in him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would keep Satan far away right now as this sermon just concluded, that seeds would not be snatched up. I pray that the soil that these seeds fall upon would be good soil, deep soil, that my brothers and sisters who are listening to this would see Jesus more clearly, desire Jesus more than ever before, have a real relationship with him and bear much fruit. I pray this in his name. Amen.